Hello and welcome to A Pint with Peter. I am, of course, joined with Chris. Hello. And the man himself, Peter Bird. The eponymous man himself, Peter. Thank you, Russell. Okay, so <laughs> the uh, topic I want to speak about today with my dad is um, kind of the main reason why I wanted to start up this, this podcast. As um, kids, me and my sister were transfixed, that's probably the best word to use, by tales of um, his adventures whilst he was in India travelling Probably means bored stiff. stiff. No, <laughs> I can assure you, you yeah. are in for a whale of a ride. So Dad, I thought I was going to sit down with you and talk about your travels in India. So I guess to kick things off, I guess it's to give people the idea of how old you were when you decided to go and what kind of yeah, motivated uh, you. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, I think even for you guys, um, you're in your 20s, and uh, I was in my early 20s uh, when I, 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 I did this thing. It was what, um, I guess at the time, has subsequently been uh, called the hippie trail. So yes, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit I was a bit of a hippie. The um, genesis of all this, uh, it really began uh, the year before. What's really interesting is if you go back to the early 1970s, which is the time I'm talking about, you, you didn't have mass travel, didn't exist. The only way you'd get to uh, a place like Burma or India or, or whatever would be you'd either be in the diplomatic service or more commonly you'd be in the armed forces. So really, anybody, anybody you spoke to, unless they'd been involved in, in something like that, people just simply didn't travel. Uh, I often uh, chat to people of my generation. I was chatting to, uh, what's her name, Heidi Sting's wife the other day, only joking. But she, she was saying, um, back in the 70s, for an, you know, an ordinary family, your holiday experience was going on day trips, possibly coach trips, to places like Landudno and Rill and, uh, you know, God forbid, even New Brighton. You know, these are places that um, you, know, you, you wouldn't go there under any circumstances. Um, so I, think, I think the wealthy people have always been uh, able to travel. Back in the day, of course, you would have had for, for the wealthy the grand tour where they would link in uh, an interest with art and culture, and they'd obviously go to Italy and to Greece, blah, blah. And uh, the motivation for going, my mum used to, uh, her hobby, if you want, which puts you back in the time, was going to rummage sales, and she used to buy these wonderful books of illustrations showing the bearded boys of Basuto land, and these weird pictures of British people in far-flung places like China. Uh, and it used to absolutely fascinate me how the, uh, the, the English mind, the British mind, with some of these uh, people uh, kind of coalesced into, into a situation where they went native. Do you know what I mean? They went native. So there's all that stuff going on. But you know, getting into zeitgeist, you know, the spirit of the times, um, the... Interest in Asia, it was, it, I guess if you want to be crass about it, it was fashionable. And of course, I, I wouldn't even go there. Uh, it, it was all popularised, I, I guess, by the Beatles. You know, you've probably seen the pictures, haven't you, of the Beatles going to visit the Maharishi and so on and yeah. so forth. So 
if you go if you go back to that time, um, travel for ordinary people is extremely limited. Don't forget, this was pre Freddie Laker. This was pre cheap flights, etc. So if you know if you go back to me being 15, 16, 17, for example, if you, if you went around your classmates, except for the kids whose parents were in the RAF, you know, and they'd been to uh, Singapore and Aden, what was called Aden, and places like that. The, the, all the other kids, you maybe if you if you were pretty well off, would have had a day to uh, a week in Calais or something like that. So. It, it was pre, really, the mass tourism industry. Um, so, so you had this fascination with the East. And uh, the interesting thing was, it sounds incredible now, to, to actually go abroad, you were only allowed £50. I think you're going to ask me later, how, how did you raise the cash and so Yeah, I was yeah. going to touch upon that. Yeah, you know, Mum's asked me to draw a veil over some aspects of that. However, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the... Um, oh, God. I'll give you the, I'll give you the respectable version. No, I wasn't selling my last <laughs> No, there's no dark secrets like that. But you had a £50 limit, which sounds incredible. Moving away from myself... Um, I, th I think a lot of people would have wanted to get over there simply because they would have enjoyed being a traveller and all the usual cliches about exposing yourself to different cultures and so on and so forth. Um, at the more nefarious end, you know, the kind of darker end of it, um, it was a time when you had an emergent uh, drug culture so for a lot of people, obviously not myself, the uh, the interest in, in going to these places was you could easily obtain, uh, you know, hashish and, and stuff like that. Um, I mean, even now in, in these places, Burma, Thailand, India, you can basically, uh, as a Westerner, go to a chemist and get what you want if you're so inclined. So... A little bit of a history lesson here. Back in the day, uh, people were going for, quote-unquote, a spiritual experience uh, at its most pretentious, to become enlightened, etc. Well, that would kind of reflect itself in, you know, possibly, certainly in, in the music you were listening to and certainly uh, in, in the books you were reading, because... You know, at that time, it was a much more, much more literate age. You know, you, you didn't have the technology. All, all you had were kind of dance set record players and stuff. So I had a little think about this, and it, it, it's a kind of, uh, I, I call it the polarity of thinking. It's like the sacred and the profane. You know what I mean? And I think myself and the guy I travelled with, we were kind of on the midpoint of that continuum. Yeah? Yeah. So... Around that time, you, you can check these names out, uh, there was a German writer called Hermann Hess. So all the cool kids would have had, um, I'm not saying I was a cool kid by the way, but all the cool kids, if you looked at their bookshelf, they would have had a couple of Hermann Hess books. Uh, the most famous guess would be Siddhartha, which is uh, essentially a retelling of the life of Buddha. And you, you would have had another book of his called Steppenwolf. And Steppenwolf is basically the story of an outsider. You see, back in the day, it sounds ridiculous now, um, if you were 
uh, as I was, a kind of long-haired hippie. You did get quite a lot of flack, you know, you, you, you did feel and you, and you did um, act actively encourage it in a way. We used to call ourselves freaks. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. But, you know, you, the idea of being a freak was quite a good one. Kind of like um, the goths of today, almost. That's right, yeah. You, 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 you've always had, um, particularly in Western countries, particularly here, you've always had the outsider, the outlier, you know, the people who want to take things a little bit, a little bit further. Um, so you had Herman Hess, uh, you had Timothy Leary. You see, over in the States, which, which is ultimately, I think, where everything that happens here comes from, Timothy Leary was, um, I suppose he was a bit like a guru. He was one of the first people to actually proselytise about taking LSD. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously obviously the drug taking, um, you know, the LSD and the hash and all that sort of stuff fed very much into, into the arts. If you go back to that time, you, you, you had all the psychedelic stuff, you know, all the multicoloured stuff and so on and so forth. It really was. Uh, very, very current. Um, and people, you know, I'm going back to this notional bookshelf, people would have had a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, which is which is the Hindu holy book, and they would have um, had an interest in Zen Buddhism. Uh, they probably would have had some Tolkien and some C.S. Lewis on the shelf. So the whole mindset of, of people who are into these kind of things was quite well in in a way i think there is a line actually i think there's a line that goes even to the present day i think you, i think you do have the counterparts of the hippies right now I, I noticed on radio 4 for example on monday there's a program about the 70s that's why i need to get this shit all sorted <laughs> out because i i think Obviously, you're talking virtually 50 years ago since Woodstock and so on and so forth. But uh, we could have a whole podcast on this. But I, I would say, objectively, that many of the uh, leading ideas and many of the strands of thinking and, and so on and so forth would have had their origins in, in, the, uh, in the 60s. And I think they would have been actioned in the in the 70s i'm talking about what you were eating as i say stuff like yoga and things like that very very current on the other hand that's the kind of the light side the enlightened stuff the kind of spiritually aware stuff on the other hand i i find it quite interesting if you were um you know a would-be uh, sued like myself and others you would have also been reading stuff like uh, Jean Genet, he's a French writer and his, his most famous book is called The Thieves Journal, which is basically about living a, a quite nefarious life and ending up in Nick and, and, and having kind of criminality almost as a, as a cult. Uh, Franz Kafka, and a, a big writer at the time, was William Burroughs. I don't know if you've ever heard of William Burroughs, but... Can't say I have. His stuff was very, very influential. If you know, well, okay, call it pretentious, but you, you would have, for example, if, if you were into, as I say, that kind of current of thinking, you, you would have read Baudelaire and Rombo, French, you know, French poetry. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible, really, isn't it? And uh, I know you guys are interested in art. I mean, around the time, you describe... Rombo and Baudelaire, I think, as decadence. 
you know, you had that kind of interest in, in decadence alongside all this spiritual stuff. At the more extreme end, interestingly, I'm just kind of uh, trying to paint a picture of what, what was going on in people's heads back then. You would have had uh, an interest in Marquis de Sade and uh, Alistair Crowley, if you've ever heard of Alistair Crowley. So you, you had the kind of, um, the more extreme end, you had an interest in magic uh, and in the tarot and in numerology and stuff like that. So you had, you had all that stuff going on. So you're talking about motivation. The guy I went to India with, um, John, just call him John. He, he'd actually been on his own the year before, wow. unbelievably. He'd only got as far as Delhi. And it's amazing, back then, obviously there were cameras, but, but, but back then people didn't have, unlike now, a fixation with uh, recording the experience. So the only, the only thing he had from his trip to he ended up in New Delhi was him in a gutter in New Delhi, um, looking fairly squalid. But... I, I was persuaded by him that it would be uh, a good idea to go mm. because obviously he knew the ropes. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I, I was going to say like so. Was listening to kind of like his adventures also like a jumping off point for you to really just yeah slightly. But do it. Um, you see, I mean, I don't know if you if you're born with this or whatever. But um, I went from going to Rill with my mum and dad, um, to my first experience of going abroad what was the year before. And the year before, I, I don't even know, I can't really remember uh, where I went. Uh, I went to Greece. Um, and when I, when I was in Greece, I, I travelled with another uh, guy called Barry, who, uh, I mean, he's an interesting character in himself Barry um, I'm trying to I'm trying to give you an idea of the period what was going on socially and economically Barry was a real working class guy he was the oldest of five brothers and they, they came from uh, Birmingham and uh, all his brothers were big heavy lads who did the curb stones on the motorways you know the, yeah. re the real deal but he uh, it's a very common story, uh, maybe you know people yourself. He it was noticed probably uh, when he certainly maybe at junior school that he, he was a very good artist. And uh, Barry, at the time I knew him, was at, at art college. Um, so I think one of the reasons for going to Greece was to go to the Parthenon and places like that. But um, Barry, to cut a very long story short, Barry uh, became quite um, a renowned sculptor. If you go to London, there's quite a few buildings in London where he's done the sculptures. And when I knew him, he was working on Wells Cathedral and shit like that. He, he now lives in, in California. And he, uh, I don't like them much really. He specialises in uh, erotic sculpture. Yeah, you know, these I really big things of, uh, yeah. I think I remember you showing me them. They weren't yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, but yeah, I can yeah. see why they're not everyone's cup yeah, of tea. But um, if you check him out. But uh, we, we went to Greece. And then again, just to give you an idea of um, how impetuous we were. We were in Piraeus, which is the big port in, in Athens, and uh, we saw a boat and we ended up, to cut a long story short, we ended up travelling third class in the kind of uh, the lower deck of this 
boat that kind of gradually went across the Mediterranean, Cyprus and places like that. You, 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 were kind of, you could go on deck, don't get me wrong, but it took about three days, I think, three, four days. Um, and you, just, you were kind of down in the hold. The only way the day was broken up, you'd have kind of like a dinner bell and we'd all queue up and eat past, you know. <laughs> but we ended up in Israel. Um, we ended up in Israel. And um, just to give you, uh, as I say, a, a picture of, of the time. The big thing about Greece was you could fund your travels by selling your blood. That's okay, a, wow. that a big thing, <laughs> yeah. uh, selling your blood. I, I never <laughs> sold mine, personally. But, um, but the big thing in Israel at the time, don't forget you're talking, as I say, 1970. The big thing in Israel was you, you could get go on a kibbutz. What's a kibbutz? I don't know if you know much about Well, when the State of Israel was formed, because of the diaspora, you, you obviously had Israeli people from all over, uh, Jewish people from all over the world, um, and they basically created from the desert, you know, an agricultural uh, network of, of farms. Not all kibbutzes are farms, but most were, and, and, and the kibbutz is based, or was based then, on socialist principles, yeah? Yeah. So that, that, that's a, that again was a big thing back in that time. The big thing was you, you, would, you would be anti-capitalist, you'd be anti-consumerist. There was a big thing back in the day for food for three and free concerts and so on and so forth. And the kibbutz was um, like a democratic socialistic system. And as a, as a Westerner, you, you could go there, you could sign up, and you had to work, and you received, obviously, your board, your lodgings, and you received a small payment. So a bit like communes. Yeah. That's right. And that, that, and that, again, is a big thing from that era, that kind of collective living, blah, blah. So we ended up, um, where did we begin? In, in Haifa. And we hung around in Haifa for a little while. Then we went to Tel Aviv, and when we when we got to Tel Aviv, we um, signed up for the kibbutz. And uh, I remember, like a prat, you know, showing my hands and saying, "Look, you know, look at these calluses. You know, I'm a really good worker." Because I, I was quite a skinny kid then, you see. Whereas Barry, I mean, he was quite a big, bulky guy. So we signed up for six months. By the way, we signed up for six months. And uh, did you do the whole six months? Uh, no, but again, we could have a whole podcast on the Israel <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, so we ended up, don't forget, you're only you know, a couple of years away from the, um, from the war, you know, what's known as the Seven Day War. But you know, with, with all due respect, when you are younger, you don't quite realise, particularly you know, if, 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 you, if your experience is quite limited, um, what you're actually what situation you're actually putting yourself in. You know, I mean, I can remember sitting on railway stations in, in Israel, e even then, and you'd see um, armoured um, you know, weaponry, tanks and things like that that had been damaged, and they are obviously going off to be scrapped or repaired, shit like that. Um, and the kibbutz I was on, it was called Givat Oz, still going now, and, and Givat Oz was founded, like a lot of these kibbutzes, it was founded by, I think it was uh, Czechs mainly, Czechoslovakians, Czechoslovakian Jews, and it was right in the middle 
of um, you know quite a desert region. And what what they'd achieved was absolutely fantastic. You know, through hard work, um, it, it was very very. It, it was made into a very. It was like an oasis, very fertile. And um, so we signed up, and our main jobs. I was telling uh, Julie couple of days ago the main jobs we used to um, pick sunflower seeds and we used to pick oranges and when you were promoted you could go and work in in the chair making shop you know, <laughs> used to make chairs out of cane and raffia but um if, if you know if you're going back to where we started if you're talking about motivation you know like 99% of kids back then, uh, I, I would have had a fairly sheltered existence. You know, my, my dad wasn't in the RAF or whatever. Was like I was in an RAF town, you see. Um, and I, I found that these kibbutzes, uh, I don't remember many other English people, actually. So you found yourself, which was um, like a seminal experience, you found yourself with Argentinians and Russians and... Uh, Obviously, American, you know, Canadians, blah, blah. Um, uh, and the great majority uh, of people, you know, couldn't speak English very well. So going back to did you see out the six months, um, one of the conditions of signing up, you had to uh, every day attend uh, a class for Yiddish, which is the language. It's the yeah. kind of colloquial language of um you know, Hebrew is the, obviously, you know, the, um, the more highfalutin language. But I, I, I did find that very, very difficult because it, it was it was incredible. The person trying to teach you, you Yiddish had, had in front of them a whole bunch of people who main, mainly they couldn't speak English. So it was amazing how they did it, you know, through sign language yeah. and so on. But I did find it quite difficult. I, and we did feel quite a bit stupid, do you know what I mean? Do you still remember any phrases now? No, I don't no. really, no. Except Shalom, of course. <laughs> but um, the work, I, I never minded hard work, by the way, but it was it was hot. I don't know, I, I, I had a feeling as, um, you know, probably a, a weedy English kid, um, and being young and having longish hair, I did feel that, uh, you know, you did have a bit of stick, you know. I'm not, don't get me wrong, you weren't bullied or anything, but um, when you think of what those people had been through, some of them, because when you're on the kibbutz, um, they, they have the kids there, by the way, and the kids are separated from their parents. I don't know, I don't know if they still do that, they probably don't, but uh, the, the whole idea was kids were separated from their parents and they'd be actually schooled and socialised within the kibbutz, often away from their parents. Um, so, I, you know, my memories are this kibbutz, and again, being naive, it was actually surrounded uh, by sort of 10-foot-high fences with razor wire across the top. Mm -hmm. And um, at night, uh, not every night, they used to have outdoor movies, and I remember, you know, you'd be sitting watching a movie, and, and there'd be people, you know, armed guards, checking the perimeter. And every so often, uh, well, when weekly, um, every one of these kibbutzes has, has air raid shelters, so you'd have an air raid drill. So the, si the siren would go, and the kids, the women and kids would be put into these shelters first. It was, it was really, really interesting experience. Um, I had a girlfriend there. Yeah. Uh, she, she was called Feyre Falovitz. 
Was she English as well? No, she's Canadian. Oh, Canadian. But I think she was quite wealthy, actually, because she used to say, oh, when I go back to Toronto, I've got a Ford Mustang. (laughs) Um, I often wonder what what becomes of these people. Yeah. I mean, I'm not being um, rude or anything, but I have a wonderful memory of... um, Water is very precious and had a great big water tower. And I remember climbing up on top of it and uh, being discreet, making love to it on top of this <laughs> water tower with the most incredible sky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I've got a letter from her somewhere, and um, it's quite interesting. Um, she eventually left the kibbutz because she got fed up of um, being you know, baited and made fun of by certain people. Was um, it, yeah, was it quite a different experience for women there in the sense of... That's possible. Yeah, like, that's possible. Would they be looked down upon? Well, no, I don't think, no, way? no, I don't think, no, Jesus. I mean, I mean, it's a bit like Russian society, you know, the, the, the women, actually. I think, I think equal opportunities in, in a place like uh, Israel would have been one of the basic tenets of, of their society. Mm. We used to have the odd day trip, so I've been to Jerusalem and things like that. I've seen the Wailing Wall and I've seen the stone where, um, what's the name, Mohammed ascended on his horse, that yeah, kind of yeah. shit, you know. But And I've also, interestingly, if you check it out on a map, Givat Oz was, um, I was too stupid to appreciate things, actually. Givat Oz was very close to Bethlehem and to Nazareth, so I've also been to Bethlehem and Nazareth, but they're pretty unremarkable, do you know what I mean? Pretty yeah. unremarkable places, because I said there's no tourism. Yeah. That's that's what you've got to remember, there's no real tourism, It did, which is, you know, for you guys, it's hard to imagine, but um, I don't know, I, I just think we, um, we just got fed up after a couple of months, and uh, I remember... We bided our time, and uh, we we, sne- we crept out one night. I was going to say, was it quite easy to leave the community? Oh, or yeah. would you have yeah, to sneak, yeah, yeah. sneak out? It was quite a disciplined society, because um, I remember leaving. Yeah, it wasn't, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a dead-of-night job, but we, we did leave surreptitiously. And uh, I remember ending up in Haifa, um, and obviously, you know, we didn't have much money, um, and we were going to sleep on a bench on the seafront in, in Haifa. I remember these guys. They're possibly Arabs, actually, because the area I've just described to you, Bethlehem, Nazareth, that area, we didn't realise at the time, you were actually probably surrounded by Arabs. Mm. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it was land that basically had been stolen from the Arabs, if you if you want to see it that way. They're too stupid to, to understand that. Um, I remember these two Arab guys, uh, you know, we, we, you had what, what in the day was called a DOS bag. So you basically had a little haversack, then you had like a sleeping bag on the back of it. Yeah. Sleeping bags back then were quite primitive compared to the ones you get now. And uh, we were just dossing down, as we used to call it. And these Arab guys said, no, you know, you, you, know, you don't, don't do that. Because basically you, you'll have the shit beaten out of you by the local police. You know what I mean? It's yeah. these kind of societies. You know, it's not like your bobbies in England. Mind you, they probably would have been the shit out. Of you <laughs> as well. but I was, it's funny what you remember. They, um, they, they obviously worked in like a little canning factory 
well, it wasn't a factory, it was just like uh, a back street shop. And uh, they showed us into this little, you know, darkness was falling. We spent the night sleeping amongst all these cans of olive oil, I remember. But they probably saved our bacon. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's it for episode one of A Pint with Peter. We'll leave him here amongst his cans of olive oil. What did you think, Chris? I thought it was absolutely riveting. The thing with your dad is you can ask him one question and he'll go off on a tangent somewhere. You don't know where he's going, but he'll come back to the original point and you start in one place, finish in another, and you've learned so much. Yeah, I think if you know Peter, that's what he is most known for. And then it's literally the reason, what, like I said, why I wanted to set up this podcast. Because he's so full of interesting stories. Did you learn anything about him through this? Um, yeah, like, I actually never knew that he did some time on a kibbutz. Am, am I saying it correct? Kibbutz. 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 Thanks for join, joining us, everyone. Um, you know, of course, at the moment, this is a passion project. But you know, we really want to make something of it. So um, any feedback or review you have would be great for us because, you know, we want this podcast to grow and with the audience uh, help, helping us, you know. So if you have, have any reviews, uh, we are on Twitter at Pint with Peter or reach us by email at pintwithpeter at gmail.com. If you're listening on iTunes, uh, rate and re- review us. Um, and I'd just like to end by thanking our good friend Sean who produced the music you heard in the podcast. You can reach him through Instagram as well at Sean underscore Roberts Sound. And we've left the link in the description to his music and it's very much worth checking out. Thanks, everyone.